This is Reformed Classics, audio productions of classic Reformed works. Today we're continuing our presentation of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, translated by Henry Beveridge. Book 1, Chapter 6. The Need of Scripture as a Guide and Teacher in Coming to God as a Creator. Sections 1. God gives His elect a better help to the knowledge of Himself, namely the Holy Scriptures. This He did from the very first. 2. First, by oracles and visions and the ministry of the patriarchs. Secondly, by the promulgation of the law and the preaching of the prophets. Why the doctrines of religion are committed to writing. 3. This view confirmed, one, by the depravity of our nature, making it necessary in every one who would know God to have recourse to the Word, and two, from those passages of the Psalms in which God is introduced as reigning. Four, another confirmation from certain direct statements in the Psalms. Lastly, from the words of our Savior. Section one. Therefore, though the effulgence which is presented to every eye, both in the heavens and on the earth, leaves the ingratitude of man without excuse, since God, in order to bring the whole human race under the same condemnation, holds forth to all, without exception, a mirror of his deity in his works, another and better help must be given to guide us properly to God as a creator." Not in vain, therefore, has he added the light of his word in order that he might make himself known unto salvation, and bestowed the privilege on those whom he was pleased to bring into nearer and more familiar relation to himself. For, seeing how the minds of men were carried to and fro, and found no certain resting place, he chose the Jews from a peculiar people, and then hedged them in, that they might not, like others, go astray. And not in vain does he, by the same means, retain us in his knowledge, since but for this, even those who, in comparison of others, seem to stand strong, would quickly fall away. For as the aged, or those whose sight is defective, when any books, however fair, is set before them, though they perceive that there is something written, are scarcely able to make out two consecutive words, but when aided by glasses, begin to read distinctly, so Scripture, gathering together the impressions of deity, which till then lay confused in our minds, dissipates the darkness and shows us the true God clearly. God, therefore, bestows a gift of singular value when for the instruction of the church he employs not dumb teachers merely, but opens his own sacred mouth, when he not only proclaims that some God must be worshipped, but that at the same time declares that he is the God to whom worship is due, when he not only teaches his elect to have respect to God, but manifests himself as the God to whom this respect should be paid. The course which God followed towards his church from the very first was to supplement these common proofs by the addition of his word as a surer and more direct means of discovering himself, and there can be no doubt that it was by this help Adam, Noah, Abraham, and the other patriarchs attained to that familiar knowledge which, in a manner, distinguished them from unbelievers. I am not now speaking of the peculiar doctrines of faith by which they were elevated to the hope of eternal blessedness. It was necessary, 
in passing from death unto life, that they should know God, not only as a creator, but as a redeemer also. And both kinds of knowledge they certainly did obtain from the word. In point of order, however, the knowledge first given was that which made them acquainted with the God by whom the world was made and is governed. To this first knowledge was afterwards added the more intimate knowledge which alone quickens dead souls, and by which God is known not only as the creator of the worlds and the sole author and disposer of all events, but also as a redeemer in the person of the mediator. But as the fall and the corruption of nature have not yet been considered, I now postpone the consideration of the remedy, for which see Book 2, Chapter 6, etc. Let the reader then remember that I am not now treating of the covenant by which God adopted the children of Abraham, or of that branch of doctrine by which, as founded in Christ, believers have, properly speaking, been in all ages separated from the profane heathen. I am only showing that it is necessary to apply to Scripture, in order to learn the sure marks which distinguish God as the creator of the world from the whole herd of fictitious gods, we shall afterwards, in due course, consider the work of redemption. In the meantime, though, we shall adduce many passages from the New Testament, and some also from the Law and the Prophets, in which express mention is made of Christ. The only object will be to show that God, the Maker of the world, is manifested to us in Scripture, and His true character expounded, so as to save us from wandering up and down as in a labyrinth in search of some doubtful deity. Section 2 Whether God revealed Himself to the fathers by oracles and visions or, by the instrumentality and ministry of men, suggested what they were to hand down to posterity, there cannot be a doubt that the certainty of what he taught them was firmly engraven on their hearts, so that they felt assured and knew that the things which they learnt came forth from God, who invariably accompanied his word with a sure testimony, infinitely superior to mere opinion." At length, in order that, while doctrine was continually enlarged, its truth might subsist in the world during all ages, it was his pleasure that the same oracles which he had deposited with the fathers should be consigned, as it were, to public records. With this view, the law was promulgated, and prophets were afterwards added to be its interpreters. For though the uses of the law were manifold, Book 2, Chapter 7 and 8, and the special office assigned to Moses and all the prophets was to teach the method of reconciliation between God and man, whence Paul calls Christ the end of the law in Romans 10.4. Still, I repeat that, in addition to the proper doctrine of faith and repentance in which Christ is set forth as a mediator, the scriptures employ certain marks and tokens to distinguish the only wise and true God, considered as the creator and governor of the world, and thereby guard against his being confounded with the herd of false deities. Therefore, while it becomes man seriously to employ his eyes in considering the works of God, since a place has been assigned him in this most glorious theater, that he may be a spectator of them, his special duty is to give ear to the word that he may the better profit. 
Hence it is not strange that those who are born in darkness become more and more hardened in their stupidity, because the vast majority, instead of confining themselves with due bounds by listening with docility to the word, exult in their own vanity. If true religion is to beam upon us, our principle must be that it is necessary to begin with heavenly teaching, and that it is impossible for any man to obtain even the minutest portion of right and sound doctrine without being a disciple of Scripture. Hence the first step in true knowledge is taken, when we reverently embrace the testimony which God has been pleased therein to give of himself. For not only does faith, full and perfect faith, but all correct knowledge of God originate in obedience. And surely in this respect, God has with singular providence provided for mankind in all ages. Section 3. For if we reflect how prone the human mind is to lapse into forgetfulness of God, how readily inclined to every kind of error, how bent every now and then on devising new and fictitious religions, it will be easy to understand how necessary it was to make such a depository of doctrine as would secure it from either perishing by the neglect, vanishing away amid the errors, or being corrupted by the presumptuous audacity of men. It being thus manifest that God, foreseeing the inefficiency of his image imprinted on the fair form of the universe, has given the assistance of his word to all whom he has ever been pleased to instruct effectually, we too must pursue this straight path if we aspire in earnest to a genuine contemplation of God. We must go, I say, to the word, with the character of God, drawn from his works, is described accurately and to the life, these works being estimated not by our depraved judgment, but by the standard of eternal truth. If, as I lately said, we turn aside from it, how great soever the speed with which we move, we shall never reach the goal, because we are off the course. We should consider that the brightness of the divine countenance, which even an apostle declares to be inaccessible, 1 Timothy 6.16, is a kind of labyrinth, a labyrinth to us inextricable. If the word do not serve us as a thread to guide our path, and that it is better to limp in the way than run with the greatest swiftness out of it. Hence the psalmist, after repeatedly declaring, Psalm 93, 96, 97, 99, etc., that superstition should be banished from the world in order that pure religion may flourish, introduces God as reigning, meaning by the term, not the power which he possesses and which he exerts in the government of universal nature, but the doctrine by which he maintains his due supremacy, because error never can be eradicated from the heart of man until the true knowledge of God has been implanted in it. Section 4. Accordingly, the same prophet, after mentioning that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the firmament showeth forth the works of his hands, at the regular succession of day and night proclaim his majesty, proceeds to make mention of the word, The law of the Lord, says he, is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 19, 1-9 
For though the law has other uses besides as to which, see Book 2, Chapter 7, Sections 6, 10, and 12, the general meaning is that it is the proper school for training the children of God, the invitation given to all nations, to behold him in the heavens and earth, proving of no avail. The same view is taken in the 29th Psalm, where the psalmist, after discoursing on the dreadful voice of God, which in thunder, wind, rain, whirlwind, and tempest, shakes the earth, makes the mountains tremble, and breaks the cedars, concludes by saying that in his temple does everyone speak of his glory. Unbelievers being deaf to all God's words when they echo in the air. In like manner, another psalm, after describing the raging billows of the sea, thus concludes, Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house forever. Psalm 93.5 To the same effect are the words of our Savior to the Samaritan woman, when he told her that her nation and all other nations worshipped they knew not what, and that the Jews alone gave worship to the true God. John 4.22 Since the human mind, through its weakness, was altogether unable to come to God if not aided and upheld by his sacred word, it necessarily followed that all mankind, the Jews accepted, inasmuch as they sought God without the word, were laboring under vanity and error. <laughs>